Welcome back, crime fanatics. This is Steph. And this is Kat. And today is episode eight, and it's also a cat episode. So she's going to take us all through something she's been deep diving this week. But I have a little news article that I want to go over. A woman in Georgia fired a gun into a KFC window after learning her order lacked napkins and a fork. I mean, I kind of feel her. I get so mad, (laughs) especially if I'm trying to, like, eat on the run and they don't put a freaking not one single napkin in my bag. Not, like, take out a gun and shoot them over it mad, but it does make me pissed. I don't really think KFC is the best food to be eating, like, on the go. Because it's so greasy. Well, they have, so, I don't eat, like, a bucket of chicken anyways. They have, um, uh, like, wraps and shit, so that's, like, more easy to eat on the run. But anyways, guys, go to Popeye's. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they'll give you napkins. Have you had Popeye's yet? Still no, since the last time? I keep forgetting about it. Listen, Jersey Mike's opened up in front of my work, so I've been living the fat girl's dream right now. Have you, you've, did, I'm trying to think, when you came here last time, did we go to Portillo's? We didn't. We actually left early Sunday morning. Oh, that's sad. Next time you come up, we're going for sure. That's what we had tonight, because I wasn't feeling super great all weekend, and... So I wasn't cooking tonight, and I sent my husband to get Portillo's, which is, like, the number one place you have to go eat if you come to Illinois. I just remember getting tacos from a taco trap truck down by the bean, and they were literally the best tacos I've ever had. Oh, yeah. So for me personally, when you go get Mexican food, I feel like the smaller and dirtier the place, the better the freaking tacos are. Yeah, these people didn't even speak any English. They handed you a board and you pointed to what you wanted. That sounds amazing. So what did you do this weekend, Kat? Um, I went to a kid's birthday party. And fun. actually, because it's been a, yeah, yeah, it was fun. My kids had a lot of fun. Um, it's been a four day weekend. So. My kids, it's like, well, actually for my kids, it was, they were off the entire week for Thanksgiving last week and then this weekend. So they had, what is that, 11 days off. Um, but we put up our Christmas trees. <laughs> you have more <laughs> than one? Well, okay. So I have a regular big one that's in my front room and then I have a little one for the family room. And if it were up to me, I'd have one more upstairs in the loft, but my husband won't allow that, so I'll just have to surprise him one day with it, maybe. <laughs> it won't be much of a surprise if he listens to this episode. <laughs> All right. So far, I think he's like three or four episodes back, so I got time. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I mean, guess I got to get on the ball with that. We're getting a new tree, so I can just send you mine, my old one. Mm, what color is it? I want a black one. Have oh, you seen those? Off. I'm getting a black one. Are you? <laughs> yeah, we're getting a seven and a half foot pre-lit one. Nice. I'm fucking stoked. I have this crazy friend who has, I think, like 15 different trees in her house because she's Jesus. insane. She has, like, one in every single room. Like, even in one room, it looks like there's more than one, I think, based on pictures. But, but she why? puts, like, one in each room. I, I don't know because she's crazy. But, oh, yeah, that was... 
Yeah, but I just have one big one and one little one. I haven't done the outside Christmas decorations, and now I'm very nervous to put up any Christmas decorations because, so we had, I showed you pictures, I think. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I definitely posted them on um, Twitter. The other day, I got very drunk because I was very, very upset. <laughs> like, first time I've day drank in a very long time. So our fence is not super new, but it was fine until we had horrible storms like the day before Thanksgiving, I think it was. Yeah. And um, we, the kids and I were home. I noticed that a couple panels were down and I was really upset. So we went out to lunch. I grabbed wine on the way home and I was like, okay, I got to call the insurance we get home and I shit you not, I open up the blinds to the backyard and about fell over because my girlfriend's over and she sees it before me because I, I had told her that a couple of panels were down. But she looks in the yard and she's like, oh, my God, I didn't realize it was that bad. And I look outside and I seriously about fell over because the whole other side of my fence was now down, too. So oh my God. I was like, I just need to drink. And pretend, and now I'm like, I don't want to look in my yard because I feel like crying. (laughs) (laughs) We had this nice, we had a fence and now we have like no fence. So, so that was my adventure for the week. And then I literally, I was so upset. I just, we, we, I day drank with my name passed out really early. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I was trying to get a hold of you and I actually texted Ricardo. So I was like, what is your wife doing? And he's like, she's knocked out. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, God she damn it. a bad day. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So yesterday, so. I went to my mother-in-law's house to watch the Ohio State-Michigan game. It okay. wasn't much of a game. Michigan lost. Uh, who'd they play? Ohio State. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I thought you said to, I was thinking in my head that you went to watch the Ohio State game. You went, you called it the Michigan game? <laughs> the Ohio State-Michigan game. Ah, okay. <laughs> there it is. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, it wasn't hmm. that Interesting. And actually, huh? I said it wasn't that fun. No, I'm sure it's not. If they don't win, it's not really fun to watch. Wait, Ohio State won. Start over. You went to watch the game, but you, it wasn't fun because they killed Michigan? It was just um not a, a very competitive game. Oh, okay. It was just yeah, stupid stuff. They won. Ohio State's going to win the national championship this year. It's not fun anymore because, oh. like, it's, no game has really been a competition for them. Oh. I haven't paid any attention to basketball since I left college. And, well, I went to Marquette, so at the time it was a big deal because they were really good, but they're not – I don't know. I haven't paid much attention since then, and they don't seem to be doing that great anymore. So, how did we oh. go from football to basketball? <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about a basketball game. That's why. No, it's definitely football. Oh, eh. yeah, it's literally. We, the we first didn't have a football game, so. Huh? <laughs> it's literally the first football game I've watched this year. Really? Yeah, I just don't care anymore. You had the entire stadium painted in your basement, didn't you? Yeah, at Ryan's house. Oh. I didn't get to take it with me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's all we have for, like, beginning business. 
So I'm going to let Kat get right into her story. So the one I have today is kind of a strange one. It's a solved case, but it's still unresolved. And it kind of reminds me of the Natalie Hollowell case in that respect. This is the disappearance of Ying Ying Zhang, I think is how you pronounce it properly, is how at least they pronounced it in the news clips that I watched. <laughs> so Ying Ying was born in China in 1990, and she's from a smaller, fairly poor town called Nanping in China. She was the oldest of two children and the only daughter. And she was in a band, which she was actually the lead singer in the band. And she had purchased a guitar and was trying to learn how to play guitar as well, just before she disappeared. She immersed herself in studies from a very young age and was the first in her family to attend a university, which is a pretty big deal. That's great. It is. She graduated from college in China that I would attempt to pronounce, but let's be real, I'm going to butcher it. (laughs) At the university, she was in the top of her class. She was second only to her boyfriend, who she met while attending the school, and his name was uh, Zaolin Hao. I think it's Zaolin. Zaolin Hao. Um, She and her boyfriend went to do their graduate studies at Peking University. So in China, that's basically the... United States equivalent or the Chinese equivalent of Harvard here. And they both graduated in 2016. Shortly after they got engaged and in the future, Ying Ying dreamed of becoming a professor back in China. She was brilliant and came to the U.S. in 2017, just after celebrating her 26th birthday. Um, she came as a visiting scholar at the University of Illinois to conduct scientific research for a year and had plans actually later that year to get married in October of 2017 to her boyfriend or his fiance, uh, Zhao Lin. October is a great month. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she, by the way, guys, that's when her birthday is. That's why she likes October. <laughs> It's the best weather of the year, too. No, it's not. Summer is way better. I don't lose fences in summertime, okay? I just love fall weather. I have to say, the older I'm getting, the more I enjoy sweatshirts and boots, but it's just depressing. I need sun in my life. <laughs> so U of I, University of Illinois, is a huge university. It's in central Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, and it's about two and a half hours outside of Chicago. It's actually one of the schools that I have fond memories of partying at as a college student myself. It has this huge Greek life, and it's just a giant campus and town that's similar to a lot of our other universities. It's kind of dropped in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if that's how Ohio's state universities are, but I know like here, U of I, Northern, um, ISU are all, it's like this big town and it's a huge college campus, but it's like, there's nothing surrounding it for the most part. It's just kind of in the middle so, of nowhere. With Ohio state, it's literally like in the middle of downtown Columbus. So it's like just super busy, super crowded. Um, okay. But there is a university in 
way in southern Ohio, Athens County. Um, it's called Ohio University. It's like a small town, like what I live in, mm-hmm. with a big giant ass university. And actually, OU is the top party school in Ohio. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people go there, and I'm just like, so why do you want to go there? Are you gonna actually <laughs> like do your schoolwork, or are you just going to party? Yeah, I think, I think that's northern here is where people tend to end up failing out because they party a lot, which is also yeah. the middle of nowhere. But And U of I actually does have a branch in the city. Um, UIC, it's known for different things. It's very, it's a, um, a lot of like medical students and nursing program students end up at that one, mostly because they're obviously there's a lot of great hospitals in the city. So, right. Um, but this all happened on the campus of U of I in Champaign-Urbana. Now, because of how this is set up, there's a great transit system in Champaign, and it's used by many of the students and residents who don't have cars there, which most college students don't end up going away to school with a with their own transportation. So Not at all. Yeah. So the routes pick up every 10 to 15 minutes, which is pretty frequent, I feel like. And this would play an important role in Ying Yang's case. Um, now, she had been living on campus apartments that were meant for married students, which I thought was strange. Um, but she, in order to save money, she wanted to move to a different complex, which was on the other side of campus and closer to the science department that she was working in. Um, from what I understand, um, she was there as a scholar and she was working within the science department, one of the largest in the U.S., um, like agricultural, I believe. And I, I'm assuming she was a paid intern type position there um, based on the rest of the information. So um, she had been working that the day that she disappeared and she made an appointment to sign a lease for her new apartment on the, in the other complex on June 9th, 2017. So she asked her boss if she could go take a two-hour lunch in order to make the appointment, and her boss said that it wouldn't be a problem. Now, having no car, Yingying would have to take the bus most places, and she would be taking the bus to her appointment that day. She would never make it to her appointment. In fact, she never came back to work. After just a few hours, her boss and mentor became very worried and went to campus police. Being that it was a Friday night, they didn't really seem too concerned and kind of brushed it off, saying many students have been reported missing over weekends. And when, in fact, they were just out having fun, most were found pretty quickly. So the police didn't seem very worried about it. But Ying Ying wasn't just. Yeah. Was she one to party? No, but. She's still a college student. I'm sure the police. I mean, how many times do we see that where, like, obviously when something do, is has gone wrong, when something somebody is missing, those we know those first hours are super important to the case. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, how many times do we see where they kind of brush it off for a while? Even like when it's a teenager, they're like, oh, they're just out having fun somewhere or whatever. Like they'll come home when in reality something horrible's happened and that all that time has been lost now. Yeah. So her boss and her friends began looking for her and some of them were waiting outside her apartment, hoping she would return. 
But that hope would be dashed in a few days when police started taking her absence more seriously. They started looking into her last whereabouts and tracking her movement from her cell phone. Um, the bus routes she would have ta- they started looking into the bus routes she would have taken. They discovered she had texted the le- leasing agent and um, had said she would be about 10 minutes late, but Yingying never showed up at all. The leasing agent had texted her when she was half an hour later than expected to find out if she was still coming, but Yingying never responded, and her cell phone stopped pinging around the time she went missing, so it would be no help in finding her. Police started looking into the video video footage and surveillance on the transit system and soon saw that Yingying had gotten on her first bus without incident. Now, in order to get to her appointment, she needed to switch buses, so she took one, had to stop, and then switch over to the next one. And you can view all these videos online, by the way. And the second part was heart-pounding for me. Yingying gets off the first bus, and she's waiting for the second one. But as it pulls up, she realizes she's on the wrong side of the road to be picked up for the second bus. So you can see she kind of panics. I'm sure thinking, oh, crap, now I'm going to be really late. And she starts chasing after the bus, but it pulls away and she misses her second bus. I am going to run after any bus. If I miss it, I'm just going (laughs) to own being late and just deal with it. I don't think Steph's running anywhere unless a clown's chasing her. <laughs> that is the damn truth right there. <laughs> if you see us running, guys, you better run, too. Because <laughs> it ain't good. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, so she misses her bus. She's running after it. And you see that in the video. And then so she goes down the street to catch a different bus. And she obviously would have to wait a while for that one. And as she's standing there waiting for the next bus, you see a black car, a black sedan, go down the street and pull a U-turn around a median and, like, come and pull up by the curb by her to talk to her. And I remember watching this video when they released it, and then I saw an interview today, and I had the exact same reaction as the reporter that was talking about it, where I was basically just screaming at the video, don't get in the car, while Yingying may have thought, perfect, I finally got a break today, all I saw was stranger danger. And I'm thinking, please don't get in that car. But Yingying gave me chills. I know. Yingying opens the door, gets in the car, and she's never seen again. This switches the investigation to a different type of beast. At the very least, we're looking at a kidnapping. The footage is released to the public in hopes of finding the owner of the black sedan that is in the video. In a turn of events, it comes to the attention of police that a British student at U of I had a similar encounter earlier the same same day, hours earlier, than Yingying before she went missing. Fucking of course. Uh-huh. She'd been approached by a black vehicle by a white male claiming to be a campus police officer who'd been wearing mirrored aviator glasses and had even produced a silver sheriff's star or something to the like. She'd been very weary of him and had not gotten in the car, thank God. Instead, she'd actually written a Facebook post warning fellow students not to get in the car if approached by him. 
And I can't help but wonder how different things could have been for Ying Ying if she had just seen that post. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so at this point, the footage is also making its way to China. Ying Ying's boyfriend, Zhao Lin, had seen the footage and her family already knew what was going on. So at this wait, point. Wait, wait, wait. Her family didn't tell her fiance what was going on? Like oh, he I saw ball by watching the I news interview. He said he's, he was in China when he saw the footage of the vehicle. So I don't think they knew they knew she was missing, but I don't think any of them had suspected foul play until but they saw. Even, even if she is missing, they should have told him. No, I think he knew she was missing, but he saw. He didn't, oh, I see. Okay. Somebody had taken her until he saw the footage. My bad. Getting in the car. <laughs> yeah, I was totally confused. <laughs> Steph and I are on two different pages today, if you can't tell. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. I I was having a basketball conversation while you were having a conversation <laughs> earlier, so. Um, yes, so at that point, her family and boyfriend, most of her family pretty much, gets on a plane and heads to the U.S., um, which is a nightmare to me. Just think your only daughter's gone to another country a world away for a better education and once in a lifetime opportunity, and then she just disappears. Poof. In every interview, her mother's grief is palpable. Being an empath, it's very hard for me to watch as she's barely able to speak through just pure anguish. I cannot begin to imagine how destroying this must all be for her and the rest of her family as well. It's just, ugh, I would, yeah. Her dad said once they got there, he would spend hours just waiting downstairs at her apartment, smoking and pacing and praying she would just come home. And they all, I think, had hope that they would see her again. Her boyfriend figured that maybe her family would do a better job searching for her. And I think coming to where she went missing seemed to give them hope that they could do something. I can't imagine being so far away. They probably felt like they were just completely helpless. So at this point, police started analyzing the footage of Ying Ying. Unfortunately, the driver and license plate could not be seen in the footage, but... Luckily, the car that she had gotten into wasn't very common, as it had only been produced for a few years. In fact, there were only 58 black Saturn Astras in all of Illinois. And the police narrowed it down quickly, as there were only 18 in the area, and started interviewing the owners. The biggest break into figuring out who took Kinging came um, from one of the campus police officers, watching the footage of the car over and over until he noticed that the car had a boo-boo. The front passenger, yeah, the front passenger hubcap was cracked and missing a chunk out of it, which would make it clearly discernible from the other ones in the area. So basically the driver, I'm sure, had hit a curb or something, and it made it very noticeably different right. in that one spot. The other thing he noticed, which wasn't visible from some of the other footage because it isn't as clear – um, is that the car had a large sunroof. And the first person they'd interviewed had also had a sunroof. His name was Brent Christensen. When the police interviewed him, nothing seemed off. He was calm and he said he'd been playing video games all day. 
um, on the day of question. Brent was a TA at U of I and was married, had no police record of any kind. He was a pretty quiet type of guy, according to those who knew him. He really didn't seem to fit the profile at a glance. But as soon as police go to the apartment to interview Brent for the second time and see his car in the parking lot, they realize, in fact, it did have the same cracked front passenger rim, and that was enough for a warrant. So investigators get a warrant, went up to his apartment, and asked if he'd be willing to talk to them again and explain the warrant to him. Immediately upon sitting down in the apartment, investigators noticed and took a picture of a pair of mirrored aviator glasses on the table, similar to that that the British student had described earlier. Brett agreed to come down to the FBI headquarters for another interview. At some point, this became a federal case. Um, the FBI got involved. I'm guessing this is because Yingying was not a citizen or had something to do with the fact that she was a visiting scholar. But what I found when I looked into it deeper wasn't very clear. I guess because the car was not made in Illinois, that was some kind of that and it was used as a vessel to abduct her. They used the laws as some kind of loophole to make it a federal case, which ultimately becomes important in the future of how the case is tried. So I don't know if you know anything about that. Mm-mm. I guess I, I, I very rarely even think about how, like I know we've discussed before, how if um, it's somebody in the military, they can try things differently and it would become oh, yeah, a different yeah. case. But I never really thought about FBI jurisdiction. And like, so, yeah. So rather than Illinois trying this case, it became a federal case, which changes things quite a bit. So while at the station, when he's being interviewed, Brent tells the same story as he did the first time. In a nutshell, he was playing video games all day. He doesn't know who Ying Ying is. But investigators start pressing him on the video footage of his car because they aren't sure if she is alive or dead at this point. They urgently want to find Ying Ying. They tell him that there's additional footage to that in the news and that they can clearly see that he's the driver of the black car, which isn't true, but there's a sense of urgency here for these investigators. So they're trying to find out where she is as fast as they can. Brent sits for a bit. After listening to them in silence, unsure what to say, and then he changes his story, miraculously. He then says he actually drove around that day, and he had picked up someone similar to Ying Ying's description, but he was going to give them a ride, and that he, they panicked after a wrong turn, so he dropped him off a few blocks later, which seems totally, that seems believable, right? Right, Absolutely. For me, there's something very chilling in this change of story because I have a feeling that part of this actually paints an accurate picture of what Ying Ying went through. She probably took the ride against better judgment because she was late and then had a moment of realization that she'd messed up and panicked. I can't imagine the moment of terror that must have rose in her when she figured out he wasn't a campus cop. And he did not have good intentions. So at this point, investigators are sure they have the right guy. They arrest Brent Christensen for making a false statement to the FBI. But ultimately, they let him go. They don't really have enough. 
well, relax. <laughs> I know. At first when I heard that too, I was like, wait a minute. And then he went and killed out, killed other people because that's usually how it goes. But right. no. So ultimately they let him go, but because they didn't really have enough yet to charge him with anything related to yinging. They, in the, the footage, they don't, you can't actually see him. You can't place him. There's no license plate number. They don't have anything yet, really. Um, they did search his place, um, but they hadn't, I mean, you have to wait for DNA and things like that. And they figured they could, if they released him, that they'd be able to get more from him. Also, you have to remember, even if they had a warrant to search like certain things, those are usually very specific. So you're allowed to search exactly what the warrant says, and that's it. But if they were able to get a bigger warrant, which they eventually did, they would be able to search more and better, basically. <clears throat> so, so my friend Kevin, um, my my friend that I tell you about all the time that I cut at work, uh-huh. Um, we were talking about warrants the last time he was in for a haircut and he said that judges, you have to have undeniable like True. evidence yeah. that a warrant is justifiable. They won't yeah. just, you know, sign off on a warrant, you know, mm-hmm. all willy nilly like I sound like yeah. my mom, but, um, <clears throat> but in, like, like you said, warrants have to be extremely specific. Like, if you're yeah. there to search the car and find something elsewhere, you can't do a thing about it. Exactly. Well, and they did search his car and found that it had been extremely well cleaned recently, which is suspicious, especially because the area that was cleaned was where Yingying would have been sitting. But, mm-hmm. yeah. But so... um They let him go, and I think it's mostly because... Remember, they think she she may still be alive somewhere or they're not sure. So they devise a plan to get more information. But here's where there's a little twist that I'd say is a bit unusual, to say the least. Remember how Christensen is married? Mm-hmm. Apparently his marriage to Michelle, his wife, had been rocky. And rather than divorce, the couple had agreed to an open relationship. Oh, fine. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. Different strokes for different folks. So Brent also had a girlfriend named Tara who he had met, uh, I would say probably two months before the disappearance of Ying Yang. Um, and the separation had been probably about three months before, or not separation, the open marriage. She had wanted to separate and then had agreed to an open marriage. So... Now, he met this girlfriend online, and they'd entered into a consensual BDSM relationship. Which, which I mean, that's yeah, fun. Yeah, may have been something he needed or wanted from his wife that she wasn't into. Maybe that's part of their what their issues were. But um, And let me preface this next part by saying I have nothing against BDSM. I personally read dirty novels, and I think Steph and I can both attest that we've enjoyed <laughs> a good BDSM fantasy to them. So for me, whatever blows your hair back is cool, just as long as it's consensual and no one is being part. Whatever blows your hair back. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) We both sound so old. You're saying whatever blows your hair back. And I said all willy nilly like. 
Speaking of um, things we say, when I listened back to the Ed Kemper episode, the way you say grandma and grandpa is probably my favorite thing ever. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> you just you have an accent, like a clear accent when you say grandma and grandpa, and it's the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to have to re-listen to it to see how I say it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the best. I just wanted to, to tell you. I don't think I have mentioned it. <laughs> no, you didn't mention that. Uh, well, anyways, now you have to go listen and, and see. You'll probably be like, what do you mean? I say it normally. <laughs> right, exactly. Just like how I say when you say Chicago, it sounds like you're emphasizing the C-A. You in the middle. Oh, so? uh, wait, wait. I'm, the G-A. The G-A in the middle of it. Like when I first start, like I met you. <laughs> but uh, But we could bring Jen on here and have her say fuck you. And ask people uh, what, what yeah, her Canadian, Canadian yes. way. <laughs> Even though she's from Wisconsin, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, so anyways, we have a friend who lives in Wisconsin, but we tell her she sounds like she's from Canada because certain things she says sound very much like, although she's married to a French Canadian, so she probably yeah. picked him up from him is my guess. But anyways. <laughs> Super sidebar. <laughs> yeah. Um, so where was I now? Oh, yeah. So he met and entered into a BDSM relationship with his new girlfriend, Tara. And, um, Brent had had some fantasies that were sinister and beyond BDSM and role playing, though. And this new relationship and his introduction to BDSM seemed to only like feed the beast. Knowing about his girlfriend, Tara, the FBI had devised a plan to have her wear a wire. She agreed in an attempt to actually clear his name because she thought he couldn't possibly have been involved, so she wanted to help him. This was risky and kind of dangerous, I think. I mean, I'm glad she did it, but I feel like this was a very risky move on both sides. So, because if Bren had felt cornered or nervous he could have easily have harmed tara also she went undercover wearing the wire multiple times and you can listen to the audio from the wire and all of the police interviews online with brent the first couple times the wire tara wore didn't really yield anything he just discussed trying to clear his name in them and he actually voluntarily went back to the fbi headquarters in order, like, basically initiated an interview himself. But instead of clearing his name, he actually made himself look even more guilty. They offered to drive around with him so he could show them exactly where he picked up and dropped off the person the day Yingying went missing. But he changed his story. He said he'd gotten his days mixed up, and it was a different day, which makes no sense. He did go out on a drive with them, and he just kind of led them around on a wild goose chase. It all makes him look super suspicious. And then on June 29th, there was a visual, vi- visual, a, vi- <laughs> <laughs> a vigil that involved a walk and a concert for Yingying held on campus in hopes of getting some sort of resolution and finding her. They actually had raised, um, this is, there's a crime stoppers organization in Champaign, Urbana and They raised the largest reward they've ever had in their history. Um, By the end, it was up to like $50,000 for information. Yeah. Leading to her uh, return. 
And Brent messaged Tara, said he wanted to go to the vigil, and so she agreed. And how often do we discuss this? I feel like more often than not in cases we have done this, the suspect seems to insert themselves into the goings-on surrounding the case. Yes. So here we are. Brett and Tara go to the vigil, and once again, she wears the wire. But this time, something very strange happens. Brett has been drinking before the event, which probably was a bad idea. And during the walk, he says to Tara something to the effect of the reason he wanted to go was because he wanted to see how many people were there for him. And Tara asks him, are we also going to the concert? To which he responds, yeah, we're going to the concert because that's also for me. What the fuck? Uh huh. It's it does. It's not a confession, but it's odd. But then they go on. Yeah, I mean, it, it was very. You you have to listen to all the tapes. It's very strange. He is clearly intoxicated, but so, anyways. If I'm Tara at this point, I would have been like, oh, okay, cool. I'm going to run to the bathroom real quick. I'll be right back. And then I probably would have noped the fuck right out of that situation. <laughs> but she ends up going to the concert with him. And at the concert, Brent, Brent asks even more bizarre. So the concert was basically Yingying's boyfriend, Zulin, 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 playing a song for her on his guitar. And singing in Mandarin. Now, when the song ended, there was a standing ovation. Everyone in the room stood up and clapped for Zulin. It was a very sweet moment, except everyone stood up except for Brent Christensen. He remained seated and did a slow clap, which is fucking eerie to me. (laughs) If I were there, I would have been like, he fucking did it. Like one hundred percent. Yeah. And I oh I wish so the person that um in an interview, the person that had discussed this was an investigator, but I really would love to see an interview with somebody who was in that room and be like, Did anybody in that room go, What the fuck is with this guy? Like yeah. I just wonder I don't know, because if I was there I would have been like, Something's off here. Red flag. We should, huh? We should get little red flags just to like, a um, like the flag for football, you know, when they like throw the penalty flag, <laughs> just throw a red flag at them. <laughs> uh, we should. Do we get different colors for different, <laughs> or just red flags? I think red flags would be fun. <laughs> so later in the audio of the wire, after the walk and the concert. Um, Tara is talking to him and he says to Tara, they've been coming up to me and thanking me for being here. Just think about that, which is another, (laughs) which is another odd thing for him to be saying. And then Tara seems confused. So she's like, does that mean you're trusting me? And I assume that's her way of asking if he's going to tell her what happened. And then she gets really hairy. Brent says that he wants to trust her and that he wants to tell her. So then drunk Brent unleashes the story of what happened to Ying Ying, that no one knows what happened except him, that no one will ever find her. 
he said she fought, but he killed her. And he said it was almost supernatural how hard she fought and didn't give up, which is pretty chilling as well. But so this was all the FBI needed. And now they're able to charge Christensen with kidnapping, resulting in a death and two counts of lying to the FBI. Investigators start digging deeper into Christensen and find out he has been visiting websites discussing fantasies. I think it's called FetLife or something like, that, like Fetish Life, FetLife. For I've most, heard of that. Yeah, but <laughs> most of the people that are on them, it's a fetish or a fantasy. It's something that they maybe would want to role play, but not something they would actually act on in real life. But Brent took it a different direction. So he actually said on the site that he had a fantasy of abducting someone and putting them in a duffel bag. This is important to the case because he actually purchased a duffel bag days before the abduction. Yang Yang's family stated they would remain in the U.S. until she was found, and they stayed in the U.S. through the trial. Even once they knew she was gone, they just wanted to be able to bring her home to bury her so she could rest in peace. The trial started two years after Yang Yang went missing. Actually, this is just last summer. And the main witness called to testify was Tara Bolas, Brent's girlfriend. The defense argued that it was basically her fault that she brought him into this BDSM lifestyle. And because of that, he had linked sex and violence together, which is a ridiculous claim to begin with. And his searches and the Internet and fingerprint of his computer showed that he was heading in that direction long before he even met Tara. In fact, 11 weeks before um, the missing, before Yingying disappeared, he had gone to a counseling center at U of I seeking help for depression and drug and alcohol dependence. The counselor he met with recorded the session since he was, since she was an intern. And then, so there's an, Intake form that you fill out when you go to a place like that for any kind of help or session. And on the intake form that Brent had checked, he checked yes on the box that asked if you've had homicidal or suicidal thoughts. When he was asked about this during the session, he said that he was intrigued by serial killers and that he had planned something similar. But Who's intrigued by serial killers? Besides uh, us. Uh, <laughs> I was like, wait, what do you mean? <laughs> no. Here's the thing. I'm intrigued in the psychology of it. I yeah. am not interested in the gruesome, like, grossness of it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to be involved in it. I'm intrigued in studying their brains. So, yeah. to a point, I understand that, but he's saying this in a totally different way. Yeah. He's intrigued by being like them specifically he um was intrigued by ted bundy which i find ted bundy interesting i would say that a lot of the population does based on all of the movies that have been released recently but there's a difference seen that movie with zach efron you should see it i did see it you didn't like it i didn't not like it i liked the take on it it was very strange. It felt very rushed. Eh, I, I don't know. I had a, an odd opinion of it. I'm not really sure. The jury's still out on that one, I think. But 
Yeah, it was. I'm more into a documentary. I like facts. I like, I don't know. Yeah. Anyways. Um, but I will say really quickly that I think that Zac Efron actually did a really good job and was a good pick, even though people were like, well, they're trying to sexualize Ted Bundy. And it's like, well, part of the intrigue of Ted Bundy was that he was charming and sexy, which is how he got so many women to trust him. So anyways, that being said, (laughs) so Brent is intrigued by serial killers in the way that he would like to be like them. Not, not normal. So. He said um, basically nothing was done because he said he was no longer having these thoughts. And um, I feel like there should be some kind of protocol that if someone else could be in danger, there should be some kind of action taken in these situations, which should be mandatory, I would think, Some either, whether it's a further evaluation or something. And during the trial, when this was revealed, Yang's estate actually filed a lawsuit against the U of I Counseling Center, claiming that they had acted with deliberate indifference to um, the possibility of him harming someone else on campus. And then that Zhang's kidnapping and death was a direct result of the way that this counseling was handled, basically. As far as I'm aware, this suit has yet to be settled though the counseling center said that they handled it how they should have. If that is what their protocol is currently, it definitely should be changed. So if they, in fact, did it as they were supposed to, that needs to be changed. It needs to be looked at, I think. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I mean, if you tell a counselor, I mean, so I know there's HIPAA laws, I understand that. I understand. I don't but know. But at the if same time, if you're going to kill so, someone, yeah, they, they are able to take action, right? Yeah. yeah, they are. If you if they feel like you're a danger to yourself or others, they have to report it. Which they should. But what I don't understand, I don't know. I I want to see what comes of this case and what actually ends up happening because as of yet. Nothing is, I don't believe that it's been resolved. So I'm curious to see what happens when or how the judge finds if they're responsible for anything. So on top of that bombshell that came out during the trial, the recordings and conversations between Tara and Brent painted a picture that she had no idea of the crimes he committed and was confiding in her on the tapes. She'd been scared for her life while recording these conversations. She's kind of a hero in this case and played a huge role in getting him convicted. So I'll let you listen to them on your own. But in short, Brent basically confesses on those tapes that he, he, brace yourselves. He had taken Ying Yang. He, um, she had fought him fiercely and eventually he had broken open her head with a baseball bat and eventually decapitated her within his bathtub. There's more to it, but that's pretty much the short of it. He went on to gloat that he had killed 12 others before Ying Ying. And so basically he was comparing himself. He said that, I think this, the quote was that he, there'd been no one um, as uh What's the word I'm looking for? There'd been nobody basically like him since Ted Bundy. 
So is that something yeah. to be proud of? Well, I mean, in a psycho's mind, maybe. So the FBI took that information very seriously. They tried to find any leads that he may have actually killed anyone else, but to no avail. As far as we know today, he was just boasting and comparing himself to a serial killer because he admired Ted Bundy. But someone should have told him how Ted's story ended. (laughs) It did not end well for Ted. No, not at all. So the defense oddly even tried to defend against the, or didn't try to defend against the evidence that was all presented. Um, that, so basically they have all these tapes, yinging his DNA, the baseball bat that he had spoken of had her DNA on it. Her DNA was eventually found on the boards under a rug in his room near his bed. Um, and there's a video of him at Walmart that day buying large amounts of Drano and cleaning supplies and such. But the defense basically argued that simply because Brent was drunk on the tapes and because he was lying about killing 12 other people, that nothing on those tapes could be taken for truth. But the evidence is just too much. After deliberating for only eight hours, the jury convicted him of murder. Now, remember, this was being tried as a federal case. So the death penalty was on the table, even though Illinois itself no longer has the death penalty. But the jury couldn't agree on the sentencing. So in the end, they sentenced him to life without the possibility of parole. So Brent Christensen sits in prison today, two and a half years after murdering Ying Ying Zhang. He did finally give up information as to where her body is in order to save his own sniveling, worthless life to avoid the death penalty. So um, he basically, a year, well, 18 months before the end of his trial, had offered to um, plead guilty and tell them where she was. But the government had wanted the death penalty for him, so they hadn't accepted it. So they had now, basically... Yeah. Um, go ahead and finish your thought. <laughs> so for all that time, they'd sat on the information um, so that they could try him. Um, what were you going to ask? So I was reading online, like I... So each week when we tell each other what case we're doing, we don't really do like a deep dive into who the other person's doing. But we kind of just read some information, you know, so we have like a little bit of an idea of what's going on. But I actually saw that they found the badge that he used down the road from his apartment. But that was a part of sealed court records. It was. So two and a half miles from where he lived, four days after Ging went missing, they had found a badge um, an Illinois state police badge two and a half miles from his apartment. But I, I never was able to find information on whether or not like they would need to connect it to him somehow. Right. Like fingerprints or something. And I don't know that they could. So that's why I'm, it didn't say why it was sealed or like why there has to be some more information that we're not privy to because of, however this case went down, but I, if anybody else does know um, more about the badge, I would love to know. Like I did see, yeah, they, they found a badge. Um, It was an Illinois state police officer's badge and it was two and a half miles from where he lives. And it was 
found four days by a motorist, four days after her disappearance. Super Uh, big coincidence, if you ask me. Yeah, it really is. But, yeah, but you need something tying it in order to use it, I would assume. What what, um, justifies, like, evidence being sealed by the court? Like, why do they... Well, so if it's not allowed in the trial, they can't release it to the public, I'm guessing. Oh. So that's why we know about it now. Um, but I, I have a feeling there's probably more, um, loopholes and different things for a federal case than there would be in just like, right. He'd be tied by the state of Illinois. So I'm not really sure. But yeah, I think I would love to know even whose badge it was, how he could have possibly been connected to it, but I don't know that they ever did connect him to it in any way. So, yeah. Yeah, I did see that. I know. So, he was able to avoid the death penalty because um, he did end up telling them where her body was. He told investigators that he had placed her remains in three separate garbage bags and then in three separate garbage cans around campus, which were then taken to the landfill. Now, by the time this information came out, it was 18 months later. So her family feels that justice was not served and they wish he had gotten the death penalty To this day, her remains have not been found, and authorities say it would be next to impossible to find her at this point. I feel like, I don't know. I mean, even if it's a long shot, it bothers me that they didn't, at the time, send out search parties of some sort. I understand it's a huge undertaking, costs money, but how do you just not give this family closure you know the family did return to china but without ying yang's body it seems they'll never have the closure they deserve and uh, i don't know to me that's just an awful ending to this case and that's why i say it almost reminds me of natalie hallowell and that we know who did it but where is she and to not be able to return the body to the family is a horrible thing for me to swallow especially when in this case they kind of know where she is I don't know I don't know I really want if anybody's in um I guess an detective or police department that would oversee things like this actually I had a customer come in last week who's brother is in like the Chicago dive team um who's he's a he's actually not a police officer he is a on the fire department but he's on like the special forces dive team so like when people get pulled out he helps even if it's just a recovery of someone who's drowned or whatnot um he get he helps pull them back in or save them or find them if they're under um, but if anybody's in any kind of force like that or in the department that would oversee searches like this, I'm curious if you know when or how they decide what's worth 
like the search and money and when they decide that it's just not I don't know even if they could find anything of hers to give back to her parents I just feel like it's like I don't know some kind of closure even though it's not going to bring her back I can text Kevin and ask him tomorrow you should I'm curious what how that all works and you know I don't know it's just very sad to me that I feel like they went back and her her family's lives will never be the same. They they have no closure either. They did do a small service here for her at the school where they um I guess they buried her clothes and there's like a memorial headstone there for her. Um so that's a small like, it's a nice ceremony. It's a nice thing to do. But it's not quite the same as knowing where your loved one is resting, you know? Yeah. So. I wouldn't know, be able to to handle that. Yeah. So there was one um, thing. So she had a journal, which this was not in the trial as well. And at the end, most of her journal was written in Chinese. But at the end, it had said... Something along the lines, in English, actually, um, life is too short to be ordinary was the last thing she'd written in her journal, which I thought was just really cool and a nice sentiment. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, this has been the case of Ying Yang Zhang. And if anybody has any further information, please go ahead and feel free to email us at True Crime Project Pod at gmail.com or you can tweet us our handle or you can search us on Twitter at true crime project, or you can always, um, our actual handle is crime underscore project. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram. I think that's it. Yeah. Definitely I think so. go, go give us a rating on Apple pod. Um, we're actually on pod chaser now. So if you are on pod chaser, you can go rate us over there as well now. We're working on getting on Stitcher and Podbean, so. We'll get there. Yeah. Baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> so. Anyways, any further thoughts on this case stuff? No. Oh, I thought you had, I thought you had said you had questions when you listened, when you were reviewing I, it. I fell asleep the other day listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I suck. Hopefully I answered your questions, but you, you did a good job. Yeah. So anyways, all right, everybody. Well, hopefully you have a great rest of your week. I don't know if we'll be posting a mini sode this week. Probably not because I feel like we've been running on fumes as it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you guys start sending in listener stories, we'd be happy to read those for our mini sode. So if you have any funky crimes or hometown episodes of cases that have happened near you that you'd like to share with us, I love hearing insider information from people from cases that have happened like where they live. So feel free to send those in to us. Again, you can email us at truecrimeprojectpod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. And I think that is where we will leave you. Until next time. Have a great rest of your week, everybody, and don't take ride from strangers, please. And don't eat the pixie sticks. 
Yes, never, never eat the pixie sticks. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Bye, guys. guys.